Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to The Birds. This is Zach Spedden. I'm joined today by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, and I will be joined by Bob and Nick uh, throughout the season as we cover the Orioles minor league system. Uh, before we get into today's show, which is going to touch on a number of topics from recent stories out of camp to our thoughts on the offseason and what we could expect for the rest of spring, I'm going to turn it over to the other hosts here just to introduce themselves real quickly, starting with Nick. Yeah, um, I'm Nick Stevens. Uh, so just I just joined Baltimore Sports and Life uh, a couple weeks ago uh, after Chris reached out to me. I've uh, been writing for Birds Watcher over on the Fan Side Network for about a year or two. Um, really started following the Orioles minor leagues with a site that doesn't exist anymore called uh, Baby Birdlands, where I got my start. Um, ever since then, just following these Orioles minor league system day in and day out, uh, year round. So excited to get this podcast going and talk about the the one of the fastest rising farm systems in baseball. All right, Bob? Oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've been a member of the Baltimore Sports and Life message board for a while. I keep track of the minor league players on there. I try to keep uh, the stats updated on the pitchers, at least last season. This year I'm going to add the hitters into that. And I've been blogging about the Orioles since I was a teenager. I started the Oriole Report in 2006 and kept it going pretty steadily until 2012 before I had my first child and that kind of got in the way. I've written a little bit for Baltimore Sports Report uh, a while back. I had my movie podcast for a few years after that. Just Yeah, I've been just always interested in the minor leagues. I always like having something to look forward to, especially as an Orioles fan. That's all we could do for most of the time. So yeah, looking forward to doing this. And uh, tracking the baby birds along throughout the season. Well, talking about players that we could be looking forward to in the very near future, uh, Ryan Mountcastle is off to an impressive start this spring at the plate, uh, really continuing the momentum he had last year when he won International League MVP. Uh, I don't expect that Mountcastle is going to make, going to really be able to do anything to make the major league team out of camp, short of some things he can't control, like injuries. But right now, it looks like if you're looking for a sign of optimism for the near future, this is it. This is someone we've known for a while that can hit. Uh, the Orioles are now finally trying him out in left field a little bit in addition to first base, which should give them a little bit more flexibility um, when the time does come to promote him. Uh, how long do you all think that's going to be? 
Uh, I think it's going to be as soon as we reach that deadline where the Orioles can have that extra year of control with him. I think he's gonna he's gonna have to be up in the major leagues. Um, every level he's been at in the minor leagues, it, he's consistently been one of the youngest guys in the league, and he's consistently just knocked the cover off the baseball. Um, International League MVP last year. There are, of course, some things he can improve on at the plate, but I mean, this this guy is one of the top hitting prospects we've got right now in the upper minors, and. I, there's going to be no excuse to keep him down in Norfolk uh, any longer. Once, once they're able to give it a few weeks, once we've reached that deadline and the Orioles got that extra year of control, he's up playing left field, splitting time at first base, DH. Um, yeah, with the big league, I, give it a few weeks. That's that's all it's going to take. Yeah, I kind of half expected them to bring him bring him up last season towards the second half, but obviously, I think they were looking forward and they could gain that extra control. So I think end of April. Early May, there's really no reason for him to repeat another full season at AAA, especially the way he's hit at every level, every step across his way to the majors. Yeah, there, uh, there is going to be some discussion about whether or not with the defense, if they're going to try him in left field, if that's going to warrant extra time in Norfolk. I don't necessarily know that it does because, number one, it's left field. We're not looking at a huge shift. You know, it's, it's the outfield, so it's going to be an adjustment. But it's not the kind of position where I think that you know he would be in a real deficit if he came up to the major leagues after only a month in AAA doing it, plus some time in big league camp. Um, and like you said, I think that extra Euro control is really going to be key to this. Um, and if the versatility is there where they can put him in left field and put him in first base, that's going to add to the incentive to bring him up soon. And I, in fact, I would say that out of the bigger prospects that are close to the major leagues right now, Mountcastle might be the first one up. Yeah, I could see that. And I can, what do you guys think as far as this left field experiment? Do you think that's more of a long term? Or to me, it seems like they just want to be able to trot him out there maybe this year and next year before they trade Mancini away for some prospects and maybe before Chris Davis can be cut and then move him over to the first base at that point. Yeah, yeah I, 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 go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, I mean, I really liked the adjustments he made at first base uh, down in Norfolk last season. At the beginning of the year, it kind of looked like he was, you know, you could see him going over in his head, all right, I need to do X, Y, Z now. Um, and, but by the All-Star break, like, he had cut that out, and it was a lot more natural for him. He had that nice pick the other day in the spring training game with that throw from Richie Martin. He made a lot more plays like that in Norfolk when he had an infield of, like, you guys like Christopher Bostick down there. Um, he really dug them out of a lot of holes. I like the way he plays first base. So I think just the left field move is just – it's another aspect of his game. So when they can bring him up, you know, you've got Renato Nunez and Davis and Mancini, and it's just another way to get him at bats when they do have to bring him up in a few weeks. Yeah, I agree. I, I think long-term first base is probably going to be where he plays – I think if you're going to experiment with another position at this point, left field is the most logical option. Uh, he doesn't have the arm for a right field. I was not a particularly big fan of his footwork around the bag when he played shortstop, so that's always been the one hesitation I've had with the possibility of putting him in second base. But I think left field, if you're looking at another position for him on the diamond, that's it. Yeah, um, I know I know our boss, Chris Sterner, He's all been looking forward to them experimenting with him at second base. And it, it kind of makes sense because the reason he was moved off of short and third, I thought, was because of his arm. But I guess, as you're saying, the footwork around the base, that could be an issue. Yeah, and that's not something that I will say that I've seen mentioned in a lot of reports, but it was something going back to when Mountcastle 
when I first saw him as a shortstop at Del Marva, that was one thing that I saw that gave me a little bit of pause. Otherwise, I, I've seen Chris's argument for putting him in second, and I do think it has some merit. Could he be sort of the Jeff Kent-type player, bat first, not a good glove, but adequate enough if right. he's hitting, which if, he should. If Mike Moustakis can do it, can't Ryan Mountcastle? That, that is true. The Mike Moustakis at second base is not something I ever really thought I would see, let alone <laughs> have it be lasting, but it's happened. Yeah, exactly. So the other big story this week, uh, there were some cuts yesterday out of camp. Uh, really headlined, I guess, by Ryland Bannon, Alec Lothar, and Alex Wells, who has been dealing with some injury issues in camp, but figures to be part of the near-term plans for the Orioles potentially as a reliever or a starter uh, later in the season. Uh, any thoughts is on the cuts and how those players performed over camp, particularly Bannon, who looked really strong? Yeah, I think Bannon was the one that shocked me. I know they could, they're still going to bring guys over from minor league camp uh, every day, but I thought they'd give Bannon a few more weeks just because the way he hit uh, when he got promoted to AAA last season, I mean, the kid was on fire. The, he was up two, three weeks last season. Um, he's a guy who I don't think is the long-term answer at third base, but he's someone who can play second base, third base. Um, I don't know if he can play maybe some left field here and there. I'm not entirely sure, but he seems like a guy that could stick as the utility guy up at the major league level and probably like around the all-star break. By the middle of the year, he's a guy who I think could reach the major league. So that one was kind of shocking. Um, I don't know what you guys think about Bannon, but I, he's a guy that after the trade, I wasn't a huge fan of his. Um, but the more that I watched him, especially last year, the more I watched him, the more I got to really like this kid. Yeah, he seems versatile. Seems like even though his pure stats didn't look that great in Bowie last year, the I think his WRC plus was actually like 118 or 120, something like that. I think it's more of a pitcher's environment. But, yeah, he's versatile. He seems like he could have a role long-term as a bench player on the, on the next contending Orioles team. But the one comp I had when I was thinking about Bannon, Bannon recently was actually a former Oriole, Ty Wigginton, who carved out a pretty decent major league career as someone never really played one position well enough that you would stick him there full time. But he can move around the, the you know he can move around. He had some power. I could see Bannon emerging as that type of player. And going back to actually what we were just talking about with Mountcastle, maybe Bannon is that bat for a second baseman. You know the glove the glove is not going to be great there. But if the power continues to come along, I can see him really filling that role, especially if Hondra Alberto continues to break out he had last year and is suddenly a valuable trade chip come July. Yeah, if he can repeat last year, that could definitely be a possibility because Bannon's a guy that could maybe hit you 20 home runs, get on base a little bit. And, uh, yeah, that's a useful player to have for sure. But I'm also – I was a little disappointed that – Alex Wells, actually, maybe the biggest breaking news of this week. He'd rather be known as Alexander Wells now. But uh, I was a little disappointed he didn't get a chance to get into a game, and maybe he still will. But him and Lothar being sent to reassign to minor league camp, I know we have, you know, 50 pitchers in camp, so it's really hard to get them into games, get them pitching consistently, get them set up to start in AAA and work their way to the big club. Same with McCoy and Bannon. Uh, we have like 10 utility players competing for that last spot or two on the roster. So it makes sense to get them regular at-bats. 
Yeah, I really like McCoy. McCoy's been my guy since the Orioles drafted him. Um, he's kind of pretty much developed into the type of player I thought he would, but going back to like his Juco days, uh, he played summer ball in the Northwoods League. I think he broke the record for most hits in a season. Um, all the way up through the minor leagues, all the all he's done is hit the baseball, and that glove, I think, is major league ready. Um, I don't know if the bat will play at the major league level, but he was a guy who I know right after the Orioles drafted him, I saw some article about how this major chip on his shoulder he developed because he didn't get drafted after his junior year. And so I think he's out to prove a lot of people wrong, and I think he's definitely doing that. I was surprised to see him go so early as well. Now, Nick, you mentioned that. Do you think that his back developed to the point where you're at least willing to give him part-time play because of love is so good? I mean, yeah. If he can, he's not going to be a guy who obviously hits. I mean, he's a few home runs a year if that even stretch it out over a full season he's hitting single digit home runs um he doesn't even really have like that gap power like a guy like ryan mckenna or, or bannon has but um i think he's still someone that's like that hanser alberto type that just hit it where they ain't get on base um and when it does find the gap i think he's got he's got like 20 25 triples in his career he had double digit triples i think last year the year before last um He's definitely not an everyday shortstop, even at his peak. But I think there's enough there to maybe by the end of the year give him some, give him a few at bats and playing time. With expanded rosters, just having a late defensive replacement could be useful. You know. Yeah, and the angle I like with McCoy is that if you're going to have you know young pitchers later in the year, you're trying to bring along. It does not hurt to have a good glove up the middle at any spot, and even if you know McCoy's not going to add any value with his bat at least having him at second base or shortstop, wherever they play him the most, steadies that position a lot. Yeah, and that's, that's why really I key was, when you're dealing with young pitchers. Yeah, that's why I was a big fan of the Iglesias signing over the offseason. Really calmed down that infield defense for the young pitchers and stopped some big innings from happening, potentially. Yeah, I, I liked that move as well for that reason. And I think that, you know, if Iglesias, you know, let's say Iglesias is trade bait in July, McCoy would be one of the options internally to fill that role if he can hit this year. Yeah, for sure. So one thing we did want to discuss today was kind of an overview of the offseason. There was not a lot of significant shifts within the farm system, but we still saw a few things happen, mainly the Jonathan VR and Dylan Bundy trades. Uh, prospects came back in those deals. And we saw the Orioles take Brandon Bailey and Michael Rucker in the Rule 5 draft, the Major League phase of the Rule 5 draft. Uh, both pitchers right now competing for spots in Major League camp uh, could be sent back to their previous organizations if they do not make the Major League roster. Uh, we'll start with Bailey and Rucker. Um, both of them right now, as I mentioned, are competing for spots in the Major League roster. Bailey, I feel like, should have an in. Because he has that background in Houston. And if the Orioles baseball, you know, baseball operations regime sees something with Bailey they know from his past that they think they can get him to make certain adjustments, that has to give him a leg up. Yeah, even if he doesn't make the rotation out of the spring, I feel like he's pretty much a lock to be in the bullpen at least as a long man, swing man, maybe opener type. Yeah, like you said, Elias knows him well from his time in Houston. And it's a little too early to tell as far as the results from spring training, if they mean anything ever, but we've only thrown a few innings. But I think he should make the team. Yeah, I mean, you just look at his numbers across his minor league career. He's got a 
a 208 average against, a 1.14 whip. I mean, high strikeout totals at every stop. Um, you know, I haven't seen a lot of him. I went back and watched a, a couple innings here and there right after they picked him. But, um, you know, everything you read about him says is five-pitch mix. None of his pitches really stand out, but they're all, you know, average major league pitches. And with me, that's something to work with right there. Um, you know, I don't see any harm in him keeping him on the roster all year. If he doesn't make the rotation, if you want to use him out of, out of the bullpen, that's fine too. Uh, get him comfortable. But I think there's a lot of potential there with him for sure. And I like what you mentioned, Bob. Try him as an opener. I, I think that would be a worthwhile experiment uh, during the season. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's not like we have much options as far as, you know, starting pitchers that are going to give us consistent even five or six innings. So we might need to do that with a few people this year. And we know with the Orioles that what you see from day one with the pitching staff might not hold uh, consistently as pitchers are shuffled up and down, injuries occur, uh, what have you. Hopefully that is uh, not as evident as it has been in the last two seasons, but the Orioles are going to be dealing with issues off and on all year. They're going to have to fine-tune that pitching staff. Yeah. So on the Bundy and VR trades, which were really the only big moves off the major league roster that brought back prospects. My thoughts, and I'm curious to hear what you both think about this, these felt more like depth move to me. Uh, get the more pitching depth in the system, particularly lower in the farm system, um, which helps, I don't want to say it makes up, but it sort of offsets the bat-heavy approach the Orioles took in the first 10 rounds of the draft last year. So you bring in a lot of younger pitchers that are going to be at the lower levels of the system this year, try to work with them, bring them up. Uh, nothing really altering as far as the organization goes, but I think if you're looking to add depth, both of those, both of those trades did that. Yeah, I mean, I was looking around at all four of these guys over the last couple of weeks, and I know Kyle Burnovich is a name that I really like the most, only because I was able to watch him a lot in college. Uh, he's the guy that's got a big knuckle curve, a lot of strikeouts, uh, keeps the ball on the ground well. But, yeah, I mean, all four of them, I think the, the more you read about them from, you know, national scouting reports are that all four of these guys at the major league level probably only develop into relievers or bullpen pieces. But, like I said, having four bullpen pieces and hoping one or two stick in the major leagues, I think it's, like you said, it's a good depth move. Um, you know, we know that this team isn't going to be competitive for three, four years, and would you rather have those four depth pieces, hope one pans out, or do you want to wait and see what Dylan Bundy has at his age 32 season? So like, yeah, where his velocity is getting lower and lower. Yeah, he improved a little bit last year, and he was great down the stretch, but yeah, yeah, I, I was fine with the moves and, and this strategy. I know it's not going to make 2020 fun at all, but you know, you think long term, and I'm, I was fine with the moves. I know everyone was disappointed in the Jonathan VR trade, uh, me as well, but I think it's less Elias not being able to get anything for him and more where why was nobody interested in him even as far back as last July at the deadline seemed like a player that could really help a team like the Cubs last year I'm just really surprised we only basically traded him away for an extra mid to late round draft pick in Easton Lucas I like the Dylan Bundy trade a lot more like Nick said it's basically just you know some Four players that you can roll the dice with as maybe borderline fourth or fifth starters or more bullpen pieces. Basically just getting extra draft picks, especially with Zach Peake and Kyle Burnovich. 
in Kyle Bradish, you get a guy who I think Elias likes his profile and his pitch mix. And Isaac Matson gives you a guy that is pretty close to ready to maybe play a role in our bullpen in the next year or two. Yeah, you know, I think that the Orioles had kind of maxed out with Dylan Bundy to a certain extent. Um, I still think that Dylan Bundy could be a dependable mid-rotation starter somewhere, but I don't think Kingdom Yards is the right ballpark for him to pitch in. And I have doubts about whether he can navigate the American League East. So I would not be surprised to see some improvements this year with the move to the AL West, the move to Angel Stadium specifically. I think will help him a little bit. And VR, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Bob, about them not being able to move him to deadline because my sense really going back to the deadline then into the offseason was that the Orioles, for whatever reason, were not dealing from a position of strength with Jonathan VR. They seemed like they were in a spot where they knew that he was going to, you know, come with fairly high price tag arbitration, at least relative to the rest of the roster, and that a lot of teams were not going to be willing to be on the hook for that. At least with, uh, in terms of prospect. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you make a good point there. I guess with a guy who's going to be earning that much in salary, it's arbitration the next year. It's maybe a guy that teams feel like they can find cheaper in other areas. So one thing we did forget to mention, we were talking about rule five picks earlier. We did not get into Michael Rucker a whole lot. Um, I'm intrigued by this pick. I think that he emerges as a bullpen piece if the Orioles are lucky in the short run. Um, you know, I know he does have some starter experience in the minor leagues, but that seemed to be uh, scaled back a little bit last year. Um, but just looking at some of his numbers, at pretty much every level that he pitched in, he was putting up good strikeout totals. We saw that last year. Uh, 10.5 strikeout per nine innings rate between double-A uh, AA and triple-A. If he gets into a bullpen role, Nick, do you see him as someone that could be in high-leverage situations as we get further along in the season? Uh, I mean, I don't really know with Rucker. I know I've read a lot of good things about the fastball. haven't really watched a whole lot of him, but just based on the reports of him, I mean, possibly he's a guy that steps in. Um, I know other than Hunter Harvey and, and Michael Givens, the back end of the bullpen is you know an area that the Orioles need to focus on. But when I look at Michael Rucker, I think my take on it is that he's a guy that put him on the opening day roster, put him on the 26-man roster, and let him throw some innings. If you want to try him at higher leverage situations, that's great. Start. I mean, what do the Orioles have to lose? Um, but for me, keeping Rucker on there, seeing what he has, they use the second round rule five pick on him, so obviously Michael I sees something in him, um, and I think it allows guys like Dylan Tate, Brandon Klein, uh, got younger bullpen arms to stay down in the minors and not rush them because we saw we saw flashes from both of those guys, um, but you can allow these younger arms to stay down in the minor leagues, and if record doesn't work out, doesn't really cost you anything. He goes back to the Cubs. Um, you tried, but I mean, yeah, they need somebody to step up in those back endings, those high leverage situations. So try him out. Yeah, I mean, that would be great if that could happen, but I think you got to start slow, let him earn his way into those positions. Like, let him give him mop-up duty early in the season. If he earns your trust a little bit more, give him some middle innings and, and so on and so forth. A guy I'd really like to see step up this year in some late high-leverage situations is Tanner Scott, but well, time remains to be seen if he will be able to do that. You know, I... 
I have been waiting for a while for Tanner Scott to turn that corner with his command. Just because you know that when he does, it's going to click and it's going to be Zach Britton 2.0. Just that velocity from the left side uh, would be huge for the Orioles. And to see Scott do that this year would make 2020 a lot more interesting. But, you know, you, you know the command issues he's had. So they're really going to have to ease him in. And, Nick, I liked your point about being able to buy more time with some of the pitchers the Orioles have already had in their system, Dylan Tate and Brandon Klein. Two guys that, you know, as you mentioned, so flat as the potential but have dealt with injuries, they've dealt with other issues. So being able to put them in Norfolk I don't think would hurt for, you know, however long the Orioles feel like they need just to get comfortable before they bring them back up to the majors, hopefully permanently. Yeah, no, and Dylan Tate was a guy who I actually really liked, and if you really, like, dig into his numbers, um, I don't think he pitched as bad as his overall numbers suggest. I mean, he had, <clears throat> excuse me, a 6.43 ERA, but he had a, a, an XFIP of 4.82. Um, I mean, so good ground ball numbers, high strikeout numbers. Again, it's someone that they just converted him to reliever early on last season when he was with Bowie, so... Give him. He didn't really pitch that much time in Norfolk either, so giving him some more innings out of the bullpen in Norfolk I think could go a long way. And I know Klein, I think obviously the team still likes him because they brought him back after he was DFA'd, um, but I don't think he has minor league options remaining, so if they put him back on the active roster, he's got to stick again. So this at least gives him an opportunity to keep working for uh, a few more months down in AAA and see if he can give us something at the major league level. Yeah, those are good points. And Dylan Tate, if you look at his numbers last year, once he moved to the bullpen, he was pretty dominant, especially at Double A Bowie. So I'd like to see him continue along those lines. Yeah, I, I think that both pitchers have shown a lot of potential, and anything you can do to give them time to develop will help. And then you could start to see where maybe they factor into the bullpen plans um, in the relatively near future. And Zach Pop, once he is healthy again, is someone that I expect will be in the picture maybe for 2021 at some point. Uh, not this year, but maybe once we get into 2021, we can be talking about him a little bit more. Um, so the Orioles, we've talked about some of the moves they made in the offseason, really part of the broader make overhaul of this farm system that has been going on going back to July 2018 with the moves that the Orioles made under Dan Duquette at the time uh, to start rebuilding. It's safe to say the Orioles' farm system has moved up in the rankings from what was consensus one of the worst systems, if not the worst system in baseball, just a few years ago, to now being higher up. But starting with you, Bob, how far up have they gone? It's a little bit harder for me because I don't pay attention to other teams, like deeper prospects as I do the Orioles. But I do listen to like podcasts that follow the minor leagues and keep up with it on Twitter. To me, I think they're borderline top 10, or at least approaching that area, maybe between 10 and 15, uh, and rising. I think it's only going to get better as we get a couple more high draft picks and more uh, allotment to spend on those draft picks and another. As we reinstate our, or instate for the first time, our July 2nd you know, international using that money, as we haven't in the past. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree. I think it's not quite at the level. I don't think of teams like, you know, like like Detroit, Minnesota, Miami, who I think rank around the same area as the Orioles. But I mean, 
10 to 15. I know a lot of Baseball America has him ranked at 12. Uh, I know, Bob, you had said Keith Law released his rankings and had the Orioles at like 24, which, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's definitely one of the fastest rising minor league systems in baseball. And depending on the list you look at, you've got four guys in the top 100 with uh, Rutschman, D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, and Ryan Mountcastle. Um, and, you know, if D.L. Hall didn't have his control issues, how much higher would he rank on these lists? If every conversation around Ryan Mountcastle didn't involve his defense, uh, how much higher would he rank? And the system's deeper than it's been in a very long time. Uh, it's got some elite prospects at the very top of the list. Um, and another draft, a J2 class, finally, uh, will definitely push this team, push this organization into the top 10 ranking for sure. And our top three prospects uh, will not be graduating. You know, they still will have their prospect status a year from now, maybe two, so... Yeah, I could see D.L. Hall really moving up the list this year if he can get his control in order. Um, and another guy that I would not rule out making a top 100 list, if not ahead of next year, but uh, maybe the year after that is Gunnar Henderson, just based on the reports you hear about his bat. Um, and then his defense, you know, I go back to when Ryan Mountcastle was drafted. You know, another power-hitting shortstop, bigger shortstop, might grow out of the position. Where Mountcastle was going to end up on defense always seemed to be an open question. Whereas with Henderson, there are some reports that say he could stick at shortstop, but if he doesn't stick at short, the skill set is there for him to play a pretty good third base. So if he can get off, you know, if he can have a big 2020, depending on where he goes, I expect him to move up. Whoever the Orioles draft number two overall, I expect is going to be a top 100 prospect. I think that's pretty much going to be a lock. And then, you know, as you mentioned, Bob, D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, they're not going to graduate this year. As long as they maintain the status quo, they'll be on the top 100 list again next year. So I think in 2021, at least right now, it can be reasonably expected that this time next year we're talking about the Orioles as a top 10 system. I don't think they're there yet. They're more in the mid-tier for me, right around 15. But I think that getting within that top 10 within the next 12 months is a pretty reasonable proposition. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I've seen a lot of good things about Gunnar Henderson, like you said, on Twitter, that he's put on some good weight and he seems to be displaying his skills. So hopefully he starts at Delmarva and can start making his way up. Yeah, I think you look at the last year's draft class too. You look at the pitching numbers that those guys put up. We're just ridiculous across the board um, for every single pitcher that the Orioles took up and down the draft. So I'm anxious to see what those guys, guys like Kyle Stowers, an outfielder, um, Zach Watson, some of those guys, I'm anxious to see how they perform in their first full year in the system. And so maybe next year with the draft, we're going to get another top 100 prospect. Um, you know, We're going to get th- those first two round picks are going to be elite prospects, but I think next year, hopefully, we start to see a lot of those 2019 draft picks really step up, and so we say this this system is even more has even more depth next year too to it. Honestly, it's hard for me to even keep track of all these pitchers they drafted last year. Between Aberdeen, GCL, everyone pitched so good in short stints. It's like hopefully some step up and separate themselves this year. Yeah, and I think that even outside of players moving into you know conversation in the top 100 prospects. Those mid-tier guys, the guys who are kind of in the middle of the system now, you want to see them develop and get better. Imagine if Ryan Mount or um, 
Brian McKenna's bat uh, comes back this year, uh, what that will do for his prospect standing, uh, assuming he even is a prospect this time next year. Um, Michael Ballman is another one that I think about. You know, with his mix of pitches, if things really click for him at the higher levels in the minor leagues this year, you're talking about a guy that's going to move up the organization rankings pretty considerably going into 2021, um, it, assuming he does not graduate at the major league level this year, which I don't think he will. But if he pitches well over the course of the minor league season, maybe we see him late in the year. Yeah, he seemed to take a big step up this past season, 2019 from 2018. And if he takes another step even close to that, uh, he's right up there as well. So one thing I should mention on a coming show, perhaps next week or the week after, uh, we have compiled a top 30 prospect list. Um, I believe, Bob, you've actually been putting that in that aggregate form for us. Yeah, we each came up with our own top 30, and I put them in a spreadsheet and did some math and tiebreakers to do our cumulative rankings for the podcast. So, yeah, we can go over that, and it should be interesting. Yeah, there was not... um, there was not much dissent among the three of us when it came to really the top five players in the system. I think we were pretty universal there. But once it moved uh, further down the list is where things got interesting. So we'll be able to talk about that on a future show. We'll also be talking a lot about uh, how things are progressing in spring training. Some of the players we're going to keep an eye on. And the last player I think we really want to focus on for today is Austin Hayes. Uh, This is someone who we expect is going to be an everyday player this year as long as he stays healthy, which has been a big question mark throughout his career. But what are some of the thoughts you're seeing? I'll start with you, Nick, on what Hayes did with the Orioles late last year and how that's carried over into spring training. Yeah, I think it's just getting regular at-bats and him staying healthy. I mean, I don't know if he's the answer uh, down the road for a starting center field job, personally, but... Um, he's definitely shown that he's an explosive player. I do think he's a guy that because he came to the pros so quickly and then his injuries, injuries cost him the last, you know, two seasons, two plus seasons. I think he's a guy that suffers a lot from, you know, like prospect fatigue. Um, he's a name that we've heard so often for so long. And I think guys, I think a lot of people that follow the system maybe forget just how good of a player he is, um, on the base pass with his defense, uh, with the bat. Uh, it's power bat, doubles guy. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do over a full season. But I think if as long as he stays healthy and the Orioles have themselves a starting center fielder this year, um, it's just going to create this ripple effect of, of positives down the rest of the lineup. And I like what I see from Austin Hayes. And, and you just pray that he stays healthy because the kid deserves it. Yeah. I mean, coming into 2019 last year, I did not know he had it in him to play a respectable center field, but the front office clearly saw something in him that made him put him out there and he did a good job. He was making highlight reel catches. And even yesterday, I think in spring training, he may, or the other day, he had like two or three spectacular plays out there. But like Nick said, it's all about health with Austin Hayes. He's just got to stay on the field. He doesn't want to be the next Nolan Reimold for the Orioles even though I think his injuries come from just playing so hard rather than just being fragile. But, I mean, he's a guy that can give you 20, 25 home runs, hit for a decent average, seems to be walking more often lately, but I don't know if that's just going to carry over into the season. But, yeah, he's just a solid player to have in the middle of your of your lineup long term. 
Yeah, I agree with Nick. I don't know if, you know, looking way ahead if he's actually the answer in center field. But at the very least this year, he could stabilize that position. It was kind of a revolving door last year. And I think just having him healthy, number one. But then, you know, we start to see that production really click. At worst, he stabilizes center field. So you're able to take Anthony Santander, stick him in the corner all season, which is what I'd hoped the Orioles would be able to do last year. Um, and maybe that has some positive effects. You know, Stevie Wilkerson continues to play around the diamond. That helps. But I think that Hayes, if he's healthy, um, really could click this year and could kind of be the first, not the first big piece, but really one of the first outcomes of this rebuild that we start to see at the major league level where you're seeing some positive results. Him and Ryan Mountcastle, for me, are really those two guys. Yeah, it's a big year for them, for sure. Yeah, and a guy I don't think we've talked about, Yusniel Diaz. I mean, by the end of the year, I would love to see Santander in left field, Austin Hayes in center, and uh, Yusniel Diaz in right field. That would be, I think, awesome. I'm excited to see Diaz in that big arm he has in right field. And I know with him it's been injuries as well, but if you look at what he's done when he's healthy – I mean, he, he mashed the ball in Bowie. I think it was June or July was his only healthy month, and he just tore the cover off the ball. And I'm excited to see him fully healthy this year and see what he can do in, in Norfolk this season. Yeah, yeah he's cool. already... Oh. Go ahead, Bob. I was just going to say, he already had a minor shoulder injury this spring, so hopefully that heals up. And, yeah, when he's healthy, he's an exciting player to watch. And I actually think he's become a little underrated in the Orioles system over the past year. Oh, I agree. And I, I don't know if it's what Nick t- talked about with Austin Hayes, where it's prospect fatigue creeping into a certain extent, because Diaz has been talked about really going back to his days of the Dodgers, or if it's just because of his health, we're not paying as much attention to him. But I feel like he has kind of been taken for granted a little bit. And I think if he is healthy this year, you start to see him really talked about as someone that could be not just a near-term solution, but again, part of the rebuild. So hopefully we see him healthy and we see Austin Hayes healthy. And if Diaz is healthy, you're probably looking at him making it to Baltimore at some point later in the season. Yeah, exciting times. Better than last year. Uh, Yep, I I agree. (laughs) All right, so I think that about does it for us on this uh, episode. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back every week uh, just about to talk about the minor leagues throughout the season. Um, So for Nick and Bob, this is Zach Spedden. Thank you for listening to The Birds.